Live from Chatterbox Sports Studios, it's Off the Bench with Tom Brenneman. Good morning, good morning, good morning, and welcome to Off the Bench presented by United Dairy Farmers. I'm Reed Mouse filling in for Tom Brenneman who is out at the Waste Management Open. He'll be back next week, so you got me for today. Thank you for spending your Friday with me and us. And uh, you'll have me on Monday as well. Trace is coming back from vacation as well. On today's show, we don't have any guests because we want to hear from you guys. So we'll open up the lines later on in the show. Please call in. We want to make this a group effort, right? We want to get everyone involved. That's what we do here at Chatterbox Sports. In the first hour, we'll talk about the NFL honors last night, how the Bengals fared in that. And spoiler, not great. We'll also talk about the Super Bowl, break down the big game. The NFL inducted their next class of Hall of Famers and Bengals great Ken Riley finally gets his much-deserved recognition. He'll be joined. We will go into that later on in the show. He'll be joining Canton with Darrell Rivas, Joe Thomas, Rondé Barber, Zach Thomas, Demarcus Rayo, Chuck Halley, Joe Klecko, and Dan Coriel. Let's go through the NFL honors. Patrick Mahomes wins his second NFL MVP, coming, becoming the 10th player to do so. Every single player that has won multiple MVPs is either a Hall of Famer or will be in Canton someday. Patrick Mahomes on that trajectory. Justin Jefferson wins Offensive Player of the Year, rightfully so. If you watch the Vikings at all this year, he was the reason that they won so many games. Nick Bosa wins Defensive Player of the Year, barely edging out Micah Parsons. Brian Dable won Coach of the Year. Zach Taylor, the Bengals head coach, did not receive a single vote. We'll get into that as well. Garrett Wilson wins Offensive Rookie of the Year. The Cincinnati Bearcats, Sauce Gardner, won Defensive Player of the Year. And I don't know about you guys, but he's going to be a stud for years to come. And he fits that mold of the New York superstar. Geno Smith won the Comeback Player of the Year award. In college basketball, five ranked teams were in action last night. Four of them won by double digits. St. Mary's in the West Coast Conference were the only ones to be upset. Losing to Loyola Marymount in OT. I think Paul has some opinions about the West Coast Conference. Guys, how are you doing on this beloved Friday morning? Well, um, I am disappointed in the awards um, for multiple different reasons, but I'm also happy. Um, I'm glad that Ken Riley got his flowers finally, as he deserves to. Um, so finally, we have a other Hall of Fame player that's a bingle besides Anthony Munoz. I'm I'm excited about that. That makes me happy. Casey, did you watch the NFL honors last night? No, I didn't. Good thing, because I think there would have been like a cartoon steam coming out of your head, like a train <laughs> steam. Oh no, I know. I, I was I I knew what was gonna happen. I wasn't gonna put myself through that torture. Well, that's good. That's a smart man. I I see you're wearing your Hooday gear, showing up today. You're showing it loud and proud. Of course. So we'll get into the NFL honors. Paul, how are you today? I'm shocked. St. Mary's lost last night. Shocked that St. Mary's dropped a game last night. WCC, come on, man. I, and, and what I don't want to do is sit here and do the East Coast take about the West Coast Conference. I'm not going to sit here and do that because I watch this, these WCC right. games. I hop on these grainy streams at 10 p.m., 11 p.m. every night. I watch these games. St. Mary's and Gonzaga are going to be five to six seeds in the NCAA tournament. They should be at least. They lost last night. You could see it coming from a mile away. You have this emotional win over the weekend over Gonzaga. You go on the road to a team as like an eight-point favorite, I think, is somewhere around where they closed. Miss me with the St. Mary's stuff. But, look, 
I see some some questions in the chat about Ohio State. We have plenty of time to talk about uh, college basketball. Last night there was some. It wasn't a huge night, but there were some significant results. Um, some some storylines I think to to keep an eye on. So uh, we will we'll talk about that more later. But I did see the the NFL awards. I didn't like Casey. Did not watch them live. Um, like I said, it wasn't a huge night of college basketball. So I, I flipped on some Netflix. Nice for like the first time all season. I I had the scores and some of the games on my computer kind of off to the side, but I I kind of detoxed a little bit. I'll are, be in, what are you guys award show guys? Period. Like, do you ever watch like the Grammys, the Academy Awards, or anything like that? Love the Oscars. That's it. You love the Academy. I love the, I love the Academy Awards. I, and I'm not even a movie guy. I don't know I don't know why I like them so much, but I do like watching the the Academy Awards. I don't watch the Grammys. Uh, CMAs I do just because I like country music. I feel like there's a billion CMAs every year. I do too. There's like six CMAs, country music awards per year. I always joke with my friends because I don't watch them, but my friends are, are bigger country music fans than I. And just like three times a year, they'll they'll come on and they'll go, oh, are you watching this? Chris Stapleton, Chris Stapleton's performing again. And you're like, wait, there's another CMAs? Wasn't there one three months ago? Yeah. My like, it, it always feels like it's Jimmy V week too. Don't yeah. you? All, don't we feel like it's we just lived in this perpetual state of Jimmy V week? I do. I feel like every time I turn around, because it's like they do those like Jimmy V the cancer fundraisers or the, the 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 drives or whatever it is, and then they have the Jimmy V week and all this other stuff, and it's a great cause. I always just get a kick out of it when it's another. Oh, it's Jimmy V week again. It's Jimmy V week. Right. Right. Always that. Yep. All right. So let's get into the NFL honors. Obviously. Patrick Mahomes won the MVP. We'll get into that in a second. But I don't know about you guys, but I felt like the biggest snub from the Cincinnati Bengals, reminder for those in case you forgot, the Cincinnati Bengals went to the AFC Championship. And yet, the head coach of the Cincinnati Bengals did not receive a single vote for Coach of the Year. Brian Dable won, and Brian Dable is probably the man that should have won it. But Zach Taylor didn't receive a single vote. Let me break this down for you guys. He took a team that started 0-2 to the playoffs. I don't think you guys need to know how rare that is. But in case you don't, since 2007, of the 107 teams that have started 0-2 in the NFL, only 12 of them had made the postseason. The Bengals obviously went to the AFC Championship. And I don't know if you guys remember this, but after the Bengals made this miracle run to the Super Bowl last year, it was a trendy pick to say that the Bengals wouldn't even win the AFC North. Colin Cowherd, probably the most aforementioned voice in NFL, frequently said before the season he doesn't think the Bengals would win the AFC North. Our very own Trace Fowler was like, the Bengals aren't going to win the North. Because it seemed like, a logical pick, you know, just a miracle run, the Bengals, and you expect them to get better, but oftentimes they don't. But the Bengals did. And that is much because of their head coach. And let's break down their season even further. They didn't lose a regular season game in November, December, and January. And what did they do in the postseason? They welcomed in the team that was preseason favorites, the betting favorites to win the AFC North, the Baltimore Ravens, beat them. Then they went on the road and beat the preseason Super Bowl favorites in the Buffalo Bills. Not to mention the fact that they were three seconds away from going to overtime with the Kansas City Chiefs with a trip to the Super Bowl on the line. And somehow, 
Zach Taylor didn't get a single vote for coach of the year in the NFL. And no one more than Cincinnatians get on Zach Taylor's case. I mean, if you go back to week three, we wanted his head on a stake. We wanted him fired. We wanted him shipped out. But it is undoubtedly an amazing job that he's done with this Cincinnati Bengals. Casey, you're an opinionated Bengals fan. Yeah. How do you feel about Zach Taylor not getting any recognition at the NFL honors? Oh, I mean, I think it's, I think it's honestly uh, a disgrace. I mean, I, I'm shocked that he didn't at least get one vote. Um, you didn't even mention the fact that we lost some crucial key pieces to our team and still managed to win ball games. We were without Jamar Chase for a whole month. We were without mm -hmm. DJ Reader for a whole month. We had injuries to our two edge rushers, Sam Hubbard, Trey Hendrickson. We had we lost our top corner and we still managed to win ball games. Um, it just goes to show that the the respect the, the 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 respect is just not there for our team. That's just what it really boils down to. It's just not there. Uh, at least the league, the right. other coaches, whoever is voting does not respect the Bengals enough to at least give them one vote. Let's break this down even further on this whole voting results thing. We're not talking, you know, like I said, Brian Dable deserved to be the coach of the year. I think he did the best job. I mean, he turned that Giants team around, turned Dan Daniel Jones into a very good quarterback. That's right, but, Reed. That's right, Reed. But I think Brian Dable deserve, deserves it. We're not talking about like 10 votes going going to three guys. Eight different NFL coaches got a first place vote. Eight. One fourth of the league. And not one voter voted for Zach Taylor. So Brian Dable had the most first place votes with 16. And I'm reading this right off of uh, NFL.com. Kyle Shanahan, the 49ers coach, 12 first place votes. Well deserving. Doug Peterson, uh, he had five first place votes. He finished third. Sean McDermott had seven first place votes. And a reminder, Sean McDermott was coaching the team that was the given the Lombardi Trophy before the season. And he didn't even get his team to the AFC Championship. But that was probably because Zach Taylor's team played him in the postseason. It's tough to beat a team coached by Zach Taylor. Nick Sirianni got six first place votes. He deserves some acclaim. Uh, Kevin O'Connell had a first place vote. Dan Campbell had a first place vote. And the Chiefs, Andy Reid, first place vote. But no, Zach Taylor. He wasn't even listed getting any votes. No votes. No votes. I mean, that, I'm... It's shock. It really is shocking to me. I really can't fathom that because Kyle Shanahan. Yes, you're down a quarterback, and that's significant throughout your season. But the fact that you really didn't go through much else, whereas the Bengals went through an appendectomy scare. They went through. Heck yeah, bring up that appendectomy. Let's, like, Let's talk about that appendectomy. There's so much that happened in the Bengals season that just, like, you could see the change. Like, there's a clear change from the beginning of the season, Bengals, to where they ended up. And they were in the game without, uh, the, the championship game, without three of their starting offensive linemen. I beg everyone, all those voters, to go and look 
at all the last couple of games where you were down at least two of your starting linemen and see if they won that ball game. Because I doubt they did. I bet they got blown out. But the Bengals, they, they just, there's no flowers for them. They are the villains of the league, and they, they know it. So, Do you really think that the, the NFL the, thinks the Bengals are the villains? Do you think no, that? Hang on. The, the, the teams, they've already said it. The, the, the Bengals think of themselves as the villains. Okay. So that's, that's where I'm getting that from. I'm pulling a quote from a player. I can't recall what player it was or which coach said it. But there's obviously some sort of like if the if the votes are from peers in the league, it makes sense. That's what I'm saying. It makes sense that the the teams and the coaches and the players didn't vote for anything of the Bengals because they're the villains of the league. It's nationwide media, right? Yeah, I it's don't the know. AP. I, yeah, it's the AP. That's how they. Yeah. I it's presume media. that they they vote because that's how every other league does it. The writers. Well, again, again, that still proves my point that there's still no respect there. There's no, there's no like consideration. If there was at least someone that considered it, they would have voted right. for the Bengals. But there was no thought. There was no vote for Zach Taylor. And I feel like there's a, a strong case for him to at least have gotten a first place vote. Yeah, I don't know if he would have won the award. He didn't deserve to win. I don't, truthfully, no. but I don't, I don't. Yeah, you can't ignore what happened in the first five to six weeks of the season, especially through that Baltimore game. You have to look at the totality of the season, and he did not have a great first few weeks between mm -hmm. losing to Pittsburgh, losing to Dallas, and then the way they lost at Baltimore on that Sunday night game. I don't think you can ignore those, but at the same time, to not at least have gotten one vote somewhere when all these guys, if it's like between... One-fourth of the league. Yeah, if it's between two or three guys, and you're like, ah, well, okay. They, they split it between... But you know, Dable and two other guys. All right. Well, but, my my, yeah. the best comparison is Kyle Shanahan because they went through a very similar situation where they started off really rough, turned it around, won 11 in a row or 12 in a row, very similar to the Bengals situation, um, except the difference is their injury-plagued season was based off the quarterback position, which is the biggest position in football. But the Bengals had so much more – their depth was tested and their 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 challenge was much greater than the 49ers in my opinion because they had a quarterback that came in and now they're talking about him that that's the starter now for next year like that to me is different than when you got a backup J2 Fele who just gets blown out by the Browns and you find a way to make it work towards the end you find a way to mm -hmm replace a Jamar Chase when there's no replacing Jamar Chase. There's a way to replace Jimmy Garoppolo. And that was clear. Clear as day. Right. So that that's my gripe, is that there's no in-depth thought on on the Bengals situation throughout the season. And, you know, there's no... And here's the last thing I'll say about it, too. Sean McDermott got a lot of votes, too. You're right. Um... I'm pretty sure it was Coach Taylor that made the decision to stop the Bills game. That alone, to me, just from that, deserves a merit vote. Because the guy's a good guy. He's a good character. Why is Sean McDermott getting seven votes? That makes no sense. Makes no sense. Yeah, I, I, I can't disagree with, with anything you guys are saying. And I, it's, it's easy with hindsight, right? 
to look back at the Bengals season and go, yeah, they have all this talent. They have one of the best three quarterbacks, best two quarterbacks in the league. They should be competing for an AFC championship. But if you go back to the way this team was talked about preseason, you'll be quick to remember that we weren't even favorites to win the division a year after winning the division and having a lead in the Super Bowl with two minutes to go. It's it's almost asinine to think that there's a quarter of the coaches in the NFL are getting recognition for coach of the year, and not one of them is Zach Taylor. Zach Taylor's not without his flaws, and we are quick to judge, not only in this city, on this show, Zach Taylor, but come on. Not a single vote. Not a single vote. It's crazy. Question for you guys. None of us in this room know the answer to this, but I'm just throwing it out there since somebody You'll be surprised. Does DeMar Hamlin play another snap of football? Just no. Off the rip, do we think no. so? Because somebody tweeted, one of the, like, a medical person tweeted, I don't know. It's a doctor that took care of him. I don't know who it was. But somebody tweeted that he is working to get back or, or they expect him to play again or something. Man. I mean, I think he wants to. Well, if that if that's what we're asking, what he's thinking, I think he's clearly trying. But I don't know if he should. That's the when you when you almost lose your life on the field. That I mean, he loves the game clearly. If he's still trying to come back, so yeah. I mean, that's that's weird. It's a weird uh, situation that he's in. If yeah. he does ever play again, knee jerk, no, he never plays again. But. Me being the medical professional that I am. Yes. That's why I asked you. Right. Me being the medical professional that I am. It seems like physically he should be able to, right? Like, I mean, it was such a freak accident. It is such a one in a trillion, one in a billion thing that he would get hit this exact rhythm. Because that's what they're saying, right? It was that. that and it sounds that like it could have happened to any of us. It could, yeah. It's like it, it, it wasn't like he had a, a, a heart a, defect. A, a, it was a heart defect or something already, that pre existing condition. Sounds like it could have happened to any of us, and if he just gets back to his normal health, he could go out there and play. It's it's almost like like a glitch in the human body to where like we've got this one small problem. It happens so rarely that if you hit your heart at the the exact right time, it just shuts the whole thing down. And once again, medical professional here, Reed Mouse. Yes. Um, it, it feels like physically he should be able to play again, but should he? I don't think he does. I, I just you get a scare like that, and I think he wants to play, but I just think that someone's going to be like, "Hey, man, you <laughs> why can't don't you play. just sit this one out?" Right, like you'll be fine, you'll be okay. And I hope he gets taken care of because I don't know how far he is um, financially and stuff like that. I hope he gets taken care of, at least for the Bills if he does retire or something like that. That the Bills, you know, guarantee his contract, which I think would be the right thing, and I think they will do. I mean, it'd be hard not to. You'd be pretty soulless if you don't. But NFLPA medical director Tom Meyer or Mayer guarantees that DeMar Hamlin, quote, will play professional football again. Hmm. Interesting. I did not know that that was who the quote came now, from. Now, if he comes back on the field, what's it going to say for all those conspiracy theorists that during the – remember during the Bengals-Bills game when they kept showing the, the press box and you couldn't see him and the snow oh, was yeah. going and they're like, he's not in there. He, he's dead. He, he, he's not in there. All those conspiracy theorists. And if he shows up on the field again, that's going to gonna be this. Cool. What was, if, it's just a lookalike. 
Whatever happened to uh, that guy from Northern Kentucky, the lawyer, D Dieters, that's running for governor. Oh, yeah. For, that's running for governor in the Commonwealth of Kentucky. If you guys recall, he was actively on Twitter saying, I'm hearing that he's dead. I'm hearing that he's dead. While literally every other news source is coming out saying he's going to be okay. He, he's, you know, he's, things are looking up. And Dieters doubled, tripled, quadrupled down that he was hearing that he was dead and he doesn't know why all the media is lying about it. I need to get on his Twitter account. The Bulldog. I think he's w Willie Cunningham's boy. Dieter's down there in Northern Kentucky running for the governor of Commonwealth of Kentucky. I need to see the update on, on what's going on there because he was very much doubling and tripling down that. Well, so take politics out of this. At some point when you get into a take like this, it's kind of like an argument with one of your friends or your spouse or whoever it is. Right. You get so far down the rabbit hole that you have two options. You keep doubling down and you hope that you're right and you get vindicated or you admit defeat. And politicians don't like to admit defeat. That's well, people don't like to admit defeat. Yeah. I mean, how many times are you, even in this office, are we shoehorned into a side of the argument like Paul was with Danny Dimes? <laughs> or like that I have to con consistently defend Patrick Mahomes, which I'll do later in this show. That I have to, <laughs> we get shoehorned in this argument and you just get backed down into it. So I, gotta, I need an update on the Bulldog Lawyer. Dieters, we'll do that when, when we take a break. But I will say this, dollar in the jar. I don't back down once I start it. They awarded the NFL Fan of the Year, and not one of Chatterbox Faithful won that award. It was given to a Seattle Seahawks fan, Larry Bevins. Disgusting. Casey didn't get it. Sir Boy Wonder didn't get it. Everett didn't get it. All of the millions and thousands, as Tom always says, that view this show. The hundreds, hundreds. hundreds if not thousands in the chat. <laughs> yes. None of them got the got Fan of the Year. Just, just a disgrace. That's just the NFL keeping down... Keeping down the Bengals. The man keeping us down. Casey? <laughs> Villains. The man, the luckiest man in the National Football League. Yep. Patrick Mahomes. Mm hmm Was awarded his second MVP. And I mentioned this in the monologue. He is the 10th person to win multiple MVPs. Every person that has won multiple MVPs is either in the Hall of Fame or well on their way. Guys like Aaron Rodgers. Well on their way to Canton someday. Patrick Mahomes is going to be in Canton someday. Joe Burrow did not get a single first place vote. Ham and Eggers, what's your reaction on Joe Burrow not getting a single first place vote? Do you see the steam coming out yet? Yes, the cartoon oh, steam, man, the train I'm... horn. Josh Allen got a, a first place vote, guys. That's all you need to know. Why, why is Josh Allen getting one and Joe Burrow nothing? I mean, it just blows me away. We all knew Patrick was going to win it anyways, regardless. I'm not mad about that. I'm just mad that someone had the balls and the audacity to vote for Jalen Hurts and Josh Allen. It makes no sense to me. I don't get it. A Joe Burrow was, to me, clear and obvious number two. But maybe I, that's just too biased of me. I mean, the dude... <laughs> Let, let's just take into the fact, which, you know, circumstances, right? 
Right. He was without his number one receiver for part of the season. He was without uh, uh, an appendix through the beginning of the season. I mean, the dude struggled mightily in the beginning of the season, came back, almost had a chance to win the thing, loses out on a game, and still has very, very respectable stats for MVP. Wins 10, 11 games in a row. And I know the voting happens before the playoffs, but this is where the, the voting is skewed, in my opinion. I mean, the dude the dude made it almost to the Super Bowl again with a banged-up offensive line. I just... Not one? Not one? No one can give him a first-place vote? Not one? Paul? I So you're going to be shocked to hear this, that I have a one-track mind between November and March, and I compare these things to college basketball. Uh, but when you look at the NCAA Tournament Selection Committee... On Selection Sunday, they field the 68 teams, and then immediately they will do what's called the first four out. The NCAA Tournament Selection Committee has now in the last two years said that the first four teams out of the tournament, when they list the first four out, that those literally are the first four teams that missed the field. So it helps the schedulers and people to know, oh, we were this close to the field or we weren't right. that close at all. The reason I bring that up is because people used to just – Try to guess, ah, well, these teams were probably close, but not. Last year, there was a lot of discussion about, wow, was, was Xavier going to get in the field or were they not? They weren't even in the first four out. They weren't even close to making the field last year. When I look at Joe Burrow and how we were looking at this award, uh, probably mid-December, and we would come into the office here before the show starts, or we'd go to lunch, and we're sitting there talking about the NFL MVP, and we're looking at the odds change, and we're like, man, if he... If he wins out the rest of the regular season, he beats the Chiefs, beats the Bucks, beats the Patriots, beats the Bills. There's a good chance that he sneaks in as the NFL MVP. Do we take a flyer? Do we take a shot at him? Do we put 50 bucks on him? He wasn't even close. He didn't even get a vote, which tells me that what were we thinking way back when? Maybe we were on the right track, but it doesn't matter what we think because the people that vote are the only ones that matter. I still, like, why Josh Allen? That's all I'm saying is we all knew it was going to be Patrick Mahomes. I'm not arguing that. It's a stat award. They just look at who has the best stats and vote for that. that that's it. There's no deeper thought into it than that. But that, well, Mahomes. What, I, what I'm arguing is that the, the award should change, is that it should be who is literally the most valuable person on your squad, on your team. And if you were to take Patrick Mahomes off of the Chiefs, yeah. I don't think you see as big of a drop-off as you see if Joe Burrow's off the squad. Okay, let me ask you a question. Do you think that the Chiefs have a better roster than the Cincinnati Bengals? I think they have a better – I think they have – what they have, what we don't, is a Hall of Fame coach. And I think that can be the difference. Do you think that the Bengals have a better roster – than the Kansas City Chiefs? I think that the Bengals went healthy, but, I mean, they, they were hit with an injury bug. I mean, <clears throat> they, they lost Jamar Chase for a whole seat or for a whole month. Yeah. I mean, they, they were every, – every one of the receivers was out a game or two. There was no – Hayden Hurst was out for a month. Joe Mixon was out for a month. I mean, I, I just, to me, 
the 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 roster comparison is kind of it doesn't matter when everything added up is kind of equal cuz to me I would take Andy Reid over over Zach Taylor anytime any day. Well yeah, obviously Andy Reid is much better, but we're talking about the National Football League most valuable player and I was honestly incredibly surprised that Zach Taylor didn't at least receive one first place vote. I saw that Joe Burrow didn't receive a first place vote and I said, "Yeah, that makes sense." Cuz only one guy should have should have won. Now the fact that Josh Allen finished above Joe Burrow, that's a bit ridiculous. But Jalen Hurts, he was the second best player in the league. My take on Patrick Mahomes is that no one in the National Football League, you're talking about most valuable player. No one in the National Football League did more with less than Patrick Mahomes. His receiving core was depleted all season long. You can look at the receivers that he had play this year. And you want to talk about Jamar Chase and Hayden Hurst missing time? Yeah, that's true. Juju Smith-Schuster, the number one receiver for the Kansas City Chiefs, missed time. Um, Clyde Edwards-Hilaire played, didn't miss half the season. Hold on now. Hold on. Hold on a second. Uh oh. McCole Hardman. There's, Uh-oh. there's not even there's not even a a comparison between the two because one, the Chiefs have the one of the best offensive lines in football. Yeah. I think that, that is the one a, a area. Weapon. That is the then, one area that then the, they have a Hall of Fame tight end. Yes. And when you look at the receivers for the Chiefs, okay, here's the thing is that when you have time to make a throw, when you get to your fourth read. Someone's going to get open. Joe Burrow can only read two guys and then throw the football. Even with the upgrade at offensive line that he had all season. Let's not act like the, the offensive line that Joe Burrow got this year was reputable or, you know, it. we're still talking about trying to improve the offensive line. We're talking about drafting a tackle for crying out loud. Right. So to me, I'm, I actually will say this. The Chiefs offense is better than the Bengals' offense currently. It just is because they have one of the best offensive lines in football. They can run when they want to. Andy Reid just loves to throw the football. Patrick Mahomes has all the time in the world. And when he doesn't have all the time in the world, which we'll see on the Super Bowl Sunday, you'll see why he's a worse quarterback than Joe Burrow because he can't make the same... Quick reads that Joe Burrow does, throw it into a tight window, like Joe Burrow does. Right, Casey. I, to be the, very, the, very the clear here, thing, the only thing that the Chiefs don't have that the Bengals clearly do is receivers. That's the only thing. But the receivers, the guys that they throw a, to, the literal, the, the guys the, the, that he's throwing to. But it's a dependent position. It's a dependent position. It has to. It depends on the offensive line being able to protect long enough for Patrick Mahomes to get the ball to them. And if you're going to tell me that they can't get open with two and a half, three seconds, I mean, they shouldn't even be playing in the league then. Paul, what were you going to say to Casey? You would rather have the Chiefs offense than the Bengals offense. That's what you're telling me. Yeah, with Andy Reid coaching it. So you'd rather well, – you, no, 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 no. You wouldn't rather have their offense than you'd rather have their coach. Yeah. That's what you're saying. I think if you got to take it in holistically, if you, if you could have everything that involves the offense 
including scheme, yeah, I think I would take I would take the the Chiefs. I would agree with you on one thing that you said. Yeah, the Chiefs have a better offense, but it's not because the reasons that you mentioned. It's because they have a better quarterback. Mm. They have the best quarterback I've ever seen play this game. The best. And we can go down the list. You're right about the offensive line. The offensive line is much better for the Kansas City Chiefs. But if you want to talk about everything else on the field, the Bengals' fourth receiver, their third, or at least their top three, are all better than the Kansas City Chiefs' number one receiver. Now, tied in, much better. I mean, Travis Kelsey is Hall of Famer, if not the GOAT in, in receiving. Oh, we got a... We got a super chat there. Let's go. Yes, on paper is basically the sports equivalent of a girl saying, well, you're a great guy, but I just like you as a friend. That's a good point from Ben, ben Riley. Look at us getting super chats here on a, on a Friday. Thanks, Ben. He, he's right. Casey, Patrick Mahomes, preseason, people were talking about how he was going to fall off a cliff without Tyree Kill. And what did he do? He might have had his best season statistically he's, with no receivers. He, you keep saying no receivers. He's literally got a Hall of Fame tight end catching right. the ball the majority right. of the time. He did not lose his number one receiver, and that's clear as day. Okay, well, let's go down the other guys that, that caught passes for the Kansas City Chiefs this year. And you tell me if you'd rather have him or Jamar Chase, Tyler Boyd, and T. Higgins. If, the, if this guy would start, we're going to go down this list and you tell me if this these guys are better than what the Bengals have. Travis Kelsey already. Would you say, would you rather have Travis Kelsey or Jamar Chase? Let me ask you that. I mean. Right now. This past year. Damn, that's a tough question. I would, I would have Chase. Okay, have Chase. so you think Jamar Chase is a yeah. better weapon than Travis Kelsey. All right, so there negates the one for one. All right, let's go. Juju Smith-Schuster. Is he better? He was their second leading receiver, almost 1,000-yard season this year. Is he better than any of the Bengals' three receivers? Top three receivers. I think you could make an argument for Tyler Boyd, but yeah, probably. But but similar. they're different receivers. I mean, if you're gonna compare, it's got to be with T. Higgins, and I would take T. Higgins. I get. I see where you're going with this. Okay. I understand the point. We MV have MVS weapons, but. Marquez Valdez Scantling. Yes. Okay. I would. I would rather have him than Tyler Boyd. No. Okay. Let's go running back. Jarrett McKinnon. You'd probably have him more than Joe Mixon than, and uh, Samaje, correct? Or would you not even say him? Well, I mean, I would take Pacheco right now okay. over over Joe. Okay. Well, I, I might take him over Samaje. I just don't know him enough. But so I, after, mean, I would rather have Samaje. So after just... MVS, this, the, the next guy in receiving yards was Jarrett McKinnon. Then Justin Wilson, Watson. Sorry, I pronounced Justin Watson's name wrong. Noah Gray, Sky Moore, Kadarius Toney, McCole Hardman, Clyde Edwards-Hilaire, Isaiah Pacheco. Casey, there is no logical argument to why Patrick Mahomes shouldn't win the MVP. He had better stats. He did more with less at the receiving core. And he took a team that lost their second best player in Tyreek Hill and were the number one seed in the AFC and are now in the Super Bowl. 
And you don't even get to say the postseason stuff when voting for an MVP. But that is just on top of everything else that has happened. So the point I'm trying to make is Zach Taylor deserves at least a first place vote for coach of the year. Well deserving. If eight other coaches are getting first place votes, Zach Taylor is without a doubt one of the guys. He's done a better job than 25% of this league. You can't deny that. But Joe Burrow doesn't deserve a first place vote in the MVP. I love Joe Burrow. There's not a quarterback I'd rather have in this league. He's our quarterback. He's my quarterback. He's the Cincinnati Bengals. He's the face of this city. Speaking of the Bengals, Reed, you know what we're doing right now? We're talking a lot about the Bengals. Yeah. What's well, the Bengals report? From Encore Technologies. It's brought to you by Encore Technologies. Encore Technologies provides IT solutions for a data-centered world with a suite of services from mobile computing to desktop to data center, supporting both centralized and work-from-home computing models to improve efficiency and productivity. Visit Encore.tech. The path to innovation begins here. But yes, Patrick Mahomes deserved all of the first-place votes. And I'm sick and tired of having to say that. Sick of it. I think I'm going to get you a Mahomes jersey, Reed. Well, I, this is what we're talking about, how you get backed into an opinion. It's I don't want to sit up here and have to talk about Patrick Mahomes all the time. I don't want to sit in that chair over there and have to talk about Patrick Mahomes. But if you guys are going to continuously, if you, Trace, whoever wants to come and continuously bat down the greatness that is Patrick Mahomes, listen, we're 3-1 and one against him. That is fantastic. But if you guys are continuously beating him down, I'm going to have to stand here and be like, guys, all right, let's let's take off the blinders for a second. I hate having to do that, but if that's what we're going to do, let's do it. I'm right here. Let's get into it. I mean, I, I'm just – I cannot wait for next season to where Joe Burrow, Joe Burrow proves me right. He's going to prove me right. You want to know the best part about the take that I have? Is I, It's a win-win. It's a win-win for old Rita Roo. I mean, if, if Joe Burrow goes out and wins the MVP, they win a Super Bowl, I'd be like, ah, you guys got me. <laughs> you guys are right. Joe Burrow's better than Patrick Mahomes. But if Patrick Mahomes is right again, then I get to sit, sit right here and talk him up. How do we handle Patrick Mahomes if he gets blown out on Sunday night? So, Patrick, <laughs> the NFL MVP has not won since 1999, has not won the Super Bowl. And it is, listen, if you're going to make me use this guy up here, Looking at that game, there's not a whole lot of sense on why the Chiefs can can even hang in that game. Seriously. If it wasn't the Super Bowl, the spread would probably be, be like, I don't know, seven, or not seven, four and a half points probably. But because it's the Super Bowl, they they, they keep it closer. Ugh. I don't know how we handle Patrick Mahomes to answer, your, to answer your. I still think the greatness is in tow. But there will be, I mean, say he throws two interceptions, throws for 189 yards in the Super Bowl. Similar like he did, he played terrible against the Bucks when his entire offensive line was depleted facing a top pass rush in the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Got blown out. I don't think it diminishes Patrick Mahomes' career. I really don't. And we got another super chat. We do. Ben Riley. Ben Riley. Ben Riley. Based on mental and physical stats and potential, if Zach Taylor treated Tampa Bay like McVay that treated would be, I th Tyler oh, Boyd. Is it Tam Tyler Boyd probably. Yeah, okay. Tyler Boyd like McVay, McVay treated Cooper, he'd be a stat leader. He takes so much pressure off of Jamar Chase and T. Higgins when he's off the field, when off the field wins become losses. 
All right. I mean, like, night and day, I think – I truly do believe this. I, I really do. If we had Andy Reid, there would be no competition whatsoever. None. Patrick Mahomes wouldn't even have a chance against us. I truly believe that. If you take away, if you take away the mastermind behind this whole thing, I was just looking at the stats, by the way, and Mahomes has thrown it to so many different guys, and there's so many different rushers. When you look at the Bengals stats, it's usually just five or six guys that are getting the ball. Jamar right. Chase, T. Higgins, Tyler Boyd. Well, that's also because they those guys are way more talented than the rest of the field. When you have the Kansas City Chiefs and you have nine guys that are all similar talent level, yeah, you can you can spread it around. Yeah, but that that's what I'm saying is the point is Andy Reid can make something out of nothing. So I've said it before. I'm of the opinion that quarterbacks make coaches. That being said, I think Andy Reid is probably the greatest offensive mind that we've seen in the National Football League and just off the top of my head, not being a historian of the game, got to be, at least in the top five. But Casey, when you watch the Kansas City Chiefs and you see Patrick Mahomes spin out of a sack, run 15 yards to his right and throws the ball over his head, the first thing that comes in your mind is, great play, Andy Reid. That was a good call. That was a good, no, he drew that bad boy up. No, I'm not giving him credit for that. You're, you're misconstruing my words. That's what we do here. Don't the, let the facts the, get in the way of a good narrative. The, right. the offense, as it runs normally, which is where he gets the majority of his yards, he's not doing all the crazy crap that he does normally every game. I, like He doesn't do that every game is what I'm saying. He, he has to run an offense, right? He's not doing he that every single play. He does it a lot. Not every play. You're right. But he, if you watch them enough, you will. I mean, every time they, they've been on national television, he does something, does something spectacular. I mean, on one leg, he's throwing jump passes 30 yards downfield to Travis Kelsey while you and I are drunk in Arrowhead Stadium crying. I still don't think he was super injured. Conspiracy. I I think it is super conspiracy. But, yeah, I mean, Andy Reid, I mean, let's go take a look at that one game anyways. Do you remember... Travis Kelsey catches the ball and he tries to pitch it to the guy, which would have been a touchdown. I mean, who comes up with that? The hook and ladder? Who calls that in the AFC Championship game? It almost worked. Who does the ring around the rosy? Who who, who came up with that play? I'm just Andy, saying. I already gave Andy Reid his flowers. He's the best offensive mind I've seen in the National Football League. But I don't think you can diminish what Patrick Mahomes does. I don't think he can. I think he's was the unanimous decision for the most valuable player award this year. Unanimous. And I'm standing firm on that. And we can argue to our to our lungs turn blue till we're blue in the face. But you can't get me off that. Until I see something else happen. Until you can do both have better stats than Patrick Mahomes. Or or I'm I'm giving you an or, not both. Or have the best team in the AFC, or do more with less. And Joe Burrow has more than Patrick Mahomes. Hold on, Joe Burrow already proved he can do more with less. He's not in the Super Bowl. He's he not. Did he's last, not. He's he not. Did scored. Last year, he uh, you're did right. But th- this is this last? year. This is about the most valuable player award this year. I I understand that. I'm. 
we're we're gonna end this on on this note. He there's gonna be two two things that happen. And I'll come in here and apologize to everyone if this doesn't happen. I want, but I want a well written card, Hallmark card, if you're gonna apologize. I'll make a long written apology. I'll do it on air. I'll read it out to everyone. And I'll 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 say that Patrick Mahomes is is a amazing quarterback. Whatever. <laughs> Whatever. He's going to lose this okay. upcoming Sunday against the Eagles. Okay. And then next year, Joe Burrow is going to either A, be a better quarterback than Mahomes, okay. or B, win a Super Bowl. Hope you're right. I hope. And when right. that happens, when they come, this I'll give you a whole, will be I'll, over. I'll, I'll give you a whole, will be over. Okay. If 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 both those things happen, if Patrick Mahomes doesn't win this Sunday, and Joe Burrow either wins the MVP or gets the Super Bowl next year, I'll have a Hallmark card waiting on your desk. Saying I'm sorry, that's all I'm saying. And Sir Boy, wonder this argument is tired. That's the super chat. So we're gonna move on. Uh, I feel like every time we talk about this, I just want to re rerun that clip of me asking Trace, "What are you even arguing?" Right. Because that is what well, that's it, it spirals out of control to where we're talking about the MVP, whether Joe Burrow deserves uh, a first place vote or not, and then we just start arguing whether Patrick Mahomes is great or not, or who deserves the. The praise in Kansas City. Shout out Ken Riley getting in the Hall of Fame. Yes, yeah, that was the next. Shout that. out Ken Riley finally getting in the Hall of Fame. So that is the third Bengal, Cincinnati Bengal, to make it to Canton. The first being Paul Brown. But he's the second player to get in behind Anthony Munoz. And he is, I believe, fourth all-time in interceptions. This has been long overdue. We've been hearing about Ken Riley for forever. But I've got a question for you guys. Yes. Do you think Ken Riley gets in if the Bengals aren't relevant? Ooh. I, I, Here we go again. Disrespect. Yeah, I don't think they – I don't think he does. I really don't. But that's – you know, you already know how I feel. I, right. feel, like, <laughs> I feel like we're the, the underdog constantly. I feel like we're the villains when we're – You can't be the underdog and the villain. Well, Those are two separate things villainized that's how i'll put okay. it we are villainized I, I have zero context or idea about where this stands in the sense of you know would he have gotten in would he not have gotten in um if the Bengals were three and 14 in the last four years i think the Bengals being relevant definitely does help their case considering the fact they only have one player in the hall of fame should probably have more ken anderson should be in uh, ken riley should be in and now he is in um, Willie, Willie Anderson and Ken Anderson would be the next two yeah. that have Hall of Fame cases that haven't gotten in before. And yeah, I think as long as the Bengals are relevant, as long as they're in the national media, I do think that these guys are going to continue to to get in, get in Canton. I don't mean to derail this, but Josh Morgan. <laughs> Sir Boy Wonder paid two dollars to yep. try and switch topics. Love it. <laughs> Sir Boy Wonder loves this show so much that he spent one dollar and ninety nine cents of his hard earned American currency to get us to shut up about Patrick Mahomes. And boy, do I gotta respect it. And I love you, Sir Boy Wonder. <laughs> we will. We will Monday. We will have to talk about Patrick Mahomes a little bit, a little bit. But that'll be the last time we talk about him. I promise you. On the box lunch, going forward, or if we ever fill in for this show. Again, but it does feel like the Bengals are getting a little more respect now. It really does. Ken Riley is going to get in the 
Hall of Fame, and I think Willie Anderson and Ken Anderson will get in sooner rather than later. And part of the reason that I've heard for a long time is, how do these Bengals not constantly not get into Canton? Well, part of the argument was, the Bengals, these guys aren't even in the Bengals Hall of Fame. And the reason that was is because the Bengals didn't have a Hall of Fame. And the fact that the Bengals are starting to prop up their own players gives more of a candidacy. You see this, and I don't want to liken the NFL to what happens in the high school levels, but you see this happen at the high school level where people are, you know, trying to get all state honors, but they can't get them unless their own coach props them up. So if their own team doesn't put them in a ring of honor, in a hall of fame, how are they supposed to get into Canton? It's simple as that. So we'll start seeing these guys get into Canton more often than not. Ken Anderson, Willie Anderson, going to both get in. And don't forget, Chad Johnson. He probably will only get to the Ring of Honor and then maybe a long time after that Hall of Fame. But I just wanted to add that name in there because... You remember he wore, the, he wore the gold jacket Hall of Fame one day? Yeah. I don't think he quite got there. Don't think he quite got there. But Chad Johnson... All-time Bengals fan favorite. Hall of Fame personality. Yes, He's personality. Great guy. All time. Yeah, he just genuinely seems like a great guy. I was, yeah, I was talking to, I was talking to my family about that the other night. Uh, we were talking about Chad. We were talking about who, you know, are some of these guys going to get in? And my mom was asking about uh, Chad Johnson, and well, we just loved watching him so much. I think everybody did. And at the time, it's funny because. When Chad was doing his thing, when he was doing his act, when he was doing the gold jacket or when he jumped up into the camera well and took control of that camera in the end zone and when he was running around on the sidelines and, and talking and the mic'd up and everything, it felt like that was really the, the, the first exposure that we got to the modern player's personality. In, in the sense of where mm -hmm. the personalities of these players have come now because he was pre-Twitter. Correct. His his prime was pre Twitter. Now toward the end of his career, you know, Twitter started to come around more. But his his prime of stuff was pre Twitter. So you didn't have this consensus where I think the the general fan has has shifted their perspective on players with celebrations or showing personality or whatever it might be. What you know. Flip, bat flipping, all that stuff. I think the fans have shifted more toward taking the player's side than towards saying, oh, they shouldn't do that. Or, right, right. Or, or the fan, the general sports fan is now more so on the player's side for, uh, for like contract negotiations or, hey, if the player wants to go get his generational wealth, ah, uh, well, can't fault him, so be it. That wasn't really the case no with doubt. Chad. He caught a lot of flack for what he did because he was pushing the envelope a lot. And you saw players. You, look, you go back enough. You go back long enough. You saw even T.O. at that time pouring the popcorn, all that stuff. Like You saw guys back when showing character, but not consistently like what Chad did. And then once you got social media, kind of like Tom Brady, where right. once you got social media and you got to really connect with them on a personal level, where it feels like you know the guy now, even though you don't, it feels like you know him because he's tweeting things out. He's uh, he's showing up at the Covington McDonald's constantly. Right, right. You know, he's doing these relatable things to where you realize, oh, he was just a fun-loving, goofy right. dude, like just a goofy dude. And I tell this story all the time. When I was at Xavier, he. He uh, he tweeted out, and he, it wasn't just Xavier. He does this a lot. 
he tweeted out like who wants to catch this smoke and I, I was gonna ask you to bring up the yeah. story yeah so so chad one time when I, I think i was a junior at xavier he uh he tweeted out one day, one afternoon hey who wants to catch this smoke in fifa 15 minutes later he was downstairs with one of my friends he was just in his apartment playing fifa because my friend tweeted at him i didn't know him super well i wasn't in the room when it was going on but we, you just there he was there was chad just out out the window there was wait what and it's just all over you i remember seeing the snapchats and everything my friend tweeted at him said uh, I'll beat your ass at FIFA. Chad was there 15 minutes later. It was crazy. And those are like the fun connecting. And now he's gotten into soccer. He's become a media personality. So I don't know if he's a Hall of Fame on-field talent, but boy, was he a great ambassador for the game. Especially is now, too. No, you bring up a good point. He has ushered into today's game where these personalities are allowed to shine. Yeah. You bring up a good point. When 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 Chad was doing all this stuff, it was frowned upon. Even here in Cincinnati, we're like, God, Chad, can you just can you shut your mouth? That's the way we thought of the game twenty years ago, seventeen years ago, fifteen years ago when he played. I honestly don't remember who who won. <laughs> Boom, did they tie? Did they I don't tie? know. I'd have to go back and text them. I'd uh I'd have to go back and text them. Yeah, that was like six years ago. I don't remember who won. You've, I mean, at this point, the story is six years old. You've got to say that he beat Chad. I mean, it doesn't matter yeah. if you beat him or not. He was it's, a good FIFA player. Like, they're both good FIFA players. But, yeah, I don't I don't remember who won. You've got to say it. Casey? Yeah. I mean, you're talking about personalities being in the Hall of Fame. I just can't believe they inducted Joe Thomas, the worst, the worst <laughs> locker room guy ever for the Browns. So, I have this take. I, I grew – I went to college in Northern Ohio, so I didn't know how big the Browns were there. So I gained all these friends that are just huge Browns fans. And I'll tell you what, you want to talk about an obnoxious fan base of a team that just perennially loses, um, as I'm wearing Cubs colors. <laughs> um, the Browns, man, are just so obnoxious. So they have Joe Thomas, Hall of Fame tackle. He retires. They have a 500 win the next year. And I just start texting, tweeting, telling all these friends, I was like, was he a locker room cancer? Bad locker room guy. I mean, Joe Thomas leaves and the team suddenly becomes good. They don't have a winning season his entire tenure in the Browns. He retires and next thing you know, they're a winning team looking at the postseason. I'm just saying, the proof's in the pudding that Joe Thomas, don't be fooled by that smile. Might be a bad locker room guy. Might be a bad locker room guy. Again, don't let facts get in the way of a good narrative. No doubt. Was there any was there any of the Hall of Fame guys that, that kind of uh, took you off guard? I was taken off that Darrell Revis has been out of the game that long. Yeah, I didn't think I didn't really have any opinion on the guys that got in or shouldn't have gotten in, whatever. But I had the same thought when they, like, they were like, Revis. Oh. I, one of my friends texted me goes Revis Island. I go, he's in. Wasn't he just playing? It really like honestly, if you would have asked me before this came out, how long has it been since Darrell Revis retired? I would have had one of two answers to that question i would have said he's still playing isn't he or it would have been like uh two years ago i don't know but I, there's what a six-year waiting period when was the last time revis played revis well, island baby yeah, the, the one that surprises me the most is demarcus ware because i confuse him with demarcus lawrence all the time or sure yeah the guy that, that's also a cowboy that's named demarcus mm -hmm. but and then ronde barber i didn't realize i mean i know he was a good player i didn't is it just because he won a, a ring that he... He was a good player. He's better than his brother, right? T Tiki was Tiki was pretty good as a running back, but... but... did Tiki win one, too? Tiki did 
He was with the Giants. 2017, the last year Revis played. Okay, so yeah, you have to wait six years, which is what most leagues have. So, yeah, I was, like I said, if you, if you asked me, when was the last time Darrell Revis played? I said, is he still like on the, the Rams or something? Like? I get Darrell Revis also mixed up with Jalen Ramsey sometimes just because they are premier cornerbacks. Sir Boy like, Wonder, Cubs fan throwing shade at another fan base. Yes, well, I made, I made a joke at it. Thank you, Sir Boy Wonder, for the super chat. I made a joke about it, about a, a perennially loser franchise being obnoxious. I don't see, I mean, I obviously see the irony there, right? I mean, Cubs fan. Talk about the Browns. I mean, if you want a one-to-one -one comparison of the two leagues, the Cubs and the Browns are just terrible. I love his profile picture. <laughs> his profile picture. It's the great. teaching Tom, isn't it? Teaching Tom, I'm pretty sure. It's the teaching Tom. All right, guys, let's take a quick break. I got to use the restroom quite uh -oh. honestly. So, I mean, I'm sitting this. It's something about this chair. So you're sending it to the Ham and Eggers? Well, you can send it to the, the Ham, Ham and Eggers. We can give a, a shout out to our sponsors of this yeah, show. Yeah, I'll, I'll do this. I'll do the sponsor reads. We'll be right back. Wow. Look at this. Now, here's the real question. Is he going to open the door and throw the door in front of the camera? It's the, only tradition. The real trick is you have to get the camera, get the get the hanger. Yeah. Oh, 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 he didn't even he get, didn't the get the hanger. He didn't get nothing. There's something that has a little character about getting the hanger in the read. All right. Uh, we already talked about Encore Technologies. You can visit Encore.tech. The path to innovation begins here because they improve efficiency and what, Casey? Productivity. That's right. Um, the other thing that we have to talk about, and Reed has it up on the desk, is the premium, the new premium alkaline water. Right here. Look at this. Pani. P-A-H-H-N-I. And I have to tell you, stuff tastes great. Tastes really good. Made in Hamilton, Ohio, Pawnee uses natural limestone filtration, unlike the artificial processing that many other brands use. The result is a healthy alkaline water that is also the best tasting water in the world. Visit their website at PawneeWater.com. That is P-A-H-H-N-I Water.com. P-A-H-H-N-I Water.com to see where you can buy this great tasting water. That is uh, our sponsors. Also, Betfred. Want to make sure we thank Betfred Sportsbook for their sponsorship of this show, UDF. Uh, you can bet with Betfred. They put some great boosts out um, for some different things, Super Bowls. Uh, the Super Bowl has they, – they, as with um, the Super Bowl per usual, a million different bets that you can put out with Betfred. All those lines at the bottom of the screen are updated lines. Casey and I put those in every day. Casey did a – uh, a yeoman's work today, putting all those lines in for tonight's games, NBA, NCAA. We're going to talk about college basketball here in a second when Reed gets back. There are some pretty good college basketball games this week. Very good. It's a, it's a great Saturday. Uh, decent games tonight, Xavier and Butler. Uh, probably one of the better games, but I'm not even sure how good of a game that's going to be. It probably will be a good game because it's at Butler, but boy, Butler has been bad this year. Um, Ohio and Akron. That's a low-key good mid-major game, but we'll talk about all that more in a second. Again, Pawnee, uh, drink Pawnee water, bet with Betfred, get Encore for your technology services, and get your coffee at UDF. So, Reed, we have a couple of different ways that we can go with this. Do we want to do college basketball? Do we want to... <clears throat> I made these people a promise, Okay. and that promise was is we'll open up the lines, oh, and we'll talk... That's true. 
We'll talk college basketball. But you guys can call in if you guys want to call in. Maybe you guys won't call in. I really don't know. But we'll talk college basketball. But we will open up the lines just in case anyone does want to call in. Um, you're going up to Indianapolis tonight to go see the Muskies play the Butler Bulldogs. Um, Hinkle Fieldhouse. Where does that rank in like college basketball venues that you've been to? Um, so I like Hinkle more than a lot of a lot of a lot of people really hate Hinkle and say that. Um, it's trash and it's garbage. I don't hate it that much. I don't really like, I don't love it. I don't have a whole lot of, Oh, I got to go to Hinkle because of the history. You know, if you've seen the movie Hoosiers, that's the, the, the final and Hoosiers is from the scene where they measure the basket. That is Hinkle Fieldhouse. Mm -hmm. I don't, it is what it is. I'm not going to outwardly hate against it, but I'm also not going to go and say that it's one of my favorites. I have not been to assembly hall. Um, I've heard mixed reviews about Assembly Hall in the sense of, like, if you sit up at the top and how cavernous it is. Assembly Hall is cool, something you've got to visit. But from what I hear from more in-tuned IU fans than myself yeah, is demolish it. Let's get something. Okay. I'm not a huge fan of Rupp either. I think Rupp, when you get – and it's kind of the Too same big. thing as Hinkle. Hinkle is low-key huge. When you Too get big. Up, yeah, Hinkle's really wide is the issue because you see these places like Centos where they're stacked and they're not all that crazy wide. Man, you sit at the in the last row of Hinkle and you look over to the last row on the other side of Hinkle. In the end zones? So the the stadium is built completely to the sides. Oh, so it's like Dayton. Yeah, yeah. The there are small student sections at Hinkle right behind the basket. There's like four or five rows of bleachers right behind the basket. And then there's a, a tier, kind of like what you see at Xavier where they have that overlook. But it's all, all the main seating goes up and down uh, the sides of the stadium. I, it's so wide. It's, it's huge. It just feels like a big warehouse. Um, I... It's going to be an interesting game tonight. Xavier's favored. I think last we checked was uh, to see the line come across it's the screen like again. Seven six, or eight. Six, yeah, so it opened at five and a half. It's all the way up there. Butler has lost 10 Big East games. Nine of them have been by 16 or more, and eight of them have been by, I think, twenty, at least 20 or more, uh, or 22 or more. It's something crazy. Basically, when they win, they win. And when they lose, they lose big. Um, this is a great matchup for Xavier. This would be an all-time disappointment for Xavier if they were to lose this game because ah, all-time might be strong since they're missing Zach Fremantle. But this would be a major, major disappointment for Xavier if they lost this game because this is a this is a tremendously bad Butler team. And when I went back yesterday and I was talking about Georgetown, Georgetown's not the worst team in the Big East. Butler or St. John's is the worst team in the Big East. Ooh. Maybe... I don't even want to say DePaul. I think Butler or St. John's right now is playing the worst pass. Georgetown's feisty. Georgetown might not win these games because they're playing these good teams, but they're feisty and they cover. These teams just get – I mean, you watched that Butler and St. John's game the other night. That was terrible. Butler, Butler doesn't have a whole lot of fight in them, and I've watched them a couple of times, and you're right. When, Like you said, when they are competing, they, they win these close games, but the second they get down, man, they just, oh, they just, they just fold. They just it's fold. Bad. Uh, so, so yeah, so that's, that's the Xavier and Butler tonight. It's a great weekend of college basketball. Alabama is at Auburn. That's a real big game for Auburn. They really need to win that game. Auburn has looked up and down. They have not looked good at times. They've looked better at other times, but they're struggling lately. 
Um, last night, there's a couple of, couple of things to think about from last night. And I mentioned this at the beginning of the show, so we'll get back to it. Ohio State loses to Northwestern last night by six. Ohio State is now 1-10 against the spread in their last 11 games and 1-10 straight up in their last 11 games. They're not going to make the NCAA tournament unless they could turn things around. They still have a pretty good net and a pretty good Ken Palm, but they're 11-13 and 13 overall and 3-10 and 10 in the, they're in not the making Big the Ten. Unless they significantly turn things around, maybe beat Purdue, you know, pick one off against Maryland or Illinois, work your way back into the conversation to get in Dayton, but they're not going to make the NCAA tournament. Ohio State is reeling. I know Ohio State fans don't want to hear this, and I'm probably going to be on an island with this soon. You shouldn't fire Chris Holtman. I think that would be a mistake, but I know that the people that are on my side with that take are getting fewer and fewer the way that this is going on. Um, yeah, Chris Holtman is on the hot seat, and Sir Boy wants to know, Paul, what are some up-and-coming coaches that you can see getting jobs this year? Um, So a lot of the up-and-coming names that we heard um, in the last few years, a lot of the big, prominent names like Matt McMahon, um, who was at Middle Tennessee maybe, mm -hmm. a lot of these up-and-coming guys got the big jobs last year. So like a Matt McMahon went to LSU, Dennis Gates was a big name that had been thrown around for a lot of jobs when he was at Cleveland State, which is – very a very very bad job cleveland state that's a tough place to win and he did win at cleveland state got to the nit last year he went and took the missouri job um there's been a lot of movement in the last few years that i think if you see these bigger names or these bigger jobs open like notre dame will be open georgetown will you'd like to think georgetown will probably be open at the end of this year i haven't heard a ton of up and coming like, oh, this guy's 35, and there are some assistant names out there, and I'd have to do some digging to really find the prominent ones that people are talking about. But I wouldn't be surprised if you see some of the the names that you already know, like Chris Mack. Does Chris Mack get back right. in? I don't think Chris Mack would go to, say, in Ohio State, but I do think Chris Mack would be open. Okay, let me preface this by saying, I have not talked to Chris Mack in seven years since he left Xavier. I don't have any insider information on this. I all I know I say that a lot, but I do have to yeah, put yeah, a yeah, disclaimer yeah. out yeah, there when yeah. I'm talking about Xavier stuff. Uh, I would not be shocked if Chris was in the running at like a Georgetown. I don't think that he would go to Notre Dame. There is one name that maybe you don't know. If you follow college basketball closely, you might know this name this year because he's had a good mid-major team. Pat Kelsey at the College mm -hmm. of Charleston, former Xavier guy, played at Xavier, Cincinnati guy, if you know uh, Kelsey Chevrolet. Yeah. Um, Pat Kelsey, Xavier guy, coached at Xavier, assistant coach at Xavier, has since gone um, to a couple of different places. He was at Winthrop, took the UMass job very briefly, never actually could. He was only there. He, I don't even think he would gotten announced. That was a very weird situation. And then he uh, immediately went back to Winthrop, then went now to College of Charleston, who was on the nation's longest winning streak until they just lost a few games ago. Um, I wouldn't be shocked to see a guy like Kelsey, if you want an up-and-coming name, I guess I should say. Um, I wouldn't be shocked to see a Pat Kelsey end up, like, at a Notre Dame. I do think, like, Cat went, you know, yeah. went to Elder. Altiora. Went, went, yeah, went to Elder, went to Xavier, Catholic guy, goes to Notre Dame. 
loves to build a program like that, very enthusiastic, get the students re-energized. Wouldn't be shocked to see a Pat Kelsey end up at, um, at uh, you know, like a Notre Dame. Is I, Patrick Ewing gone? Again, I'm not working with a ton of inside info here, but I just don't see any way that Patrick Ewing is the coach at Georgetown. Let's let's run it back. Let's year. get AI. Let's get Allen Iverson over there I mean, in, in hey, Washington D.C. When hasn't an alumni worked before? Has it's undefeated, never lost. Yeah, uh, I'd be. I, I personally would be shocked if Patrick Ewing was the coach at Georgetown next year. I know they are playing better this year. They just don't have the wins, and you got to win. And the program is very disconnected. Um, only the fans that follow it as closely as maybe I do know how well Georgetown has played. And even when I say how well they have played, that's not an excuse for a program like Georgetown that should be winning these games. Sure. Like I, the, the expectations for Georgetown have been so incredibly low that me sitting here and saying, oh, they're covering a 13-point spread makes it sound like they're playing well. That is Georgetown. Georgetown should be at the top of the Big East. St. John's should be at the top of the Big East. A lot of people are talking about Rick Pitino to St. John's because he's right there, wouldn't have to really move. He's already at Iona. I think Rick Pitino does have one good run left in him. I think we will see Rick get one more high major job. I think one school will take a chance at him. Is it St. John's? I don't know. But I do think Rick Pitino gives it one more run. He's 70, I think. I think he's got one more shot in him. I think he's got one more. One of the best coaches of all time. He's got his issues, but boy, can he coach a basketball team. I think uh, I think Rick gets one more run. I see Nick Kirby talking about um, Dusty May at Florida Atlantic. I don't know a ton about Dusty, so I'm not going to comment on that one. Um, yeah, a bunch of Mountain West schools. I would agree with that. There are some guys out there in the Mountain West that are ha- Mountain West is having an incredible year. Mm-hmm. If you're not a night owl and you're not watching college basketball late at night to know how well the Mountain West is playing this year, Utah State, one of the best three-point shooting teams in the country. San Diego State is a ranked team this year. Uh, there is a lot of good Mountain West. Boise State has had a great year. A lot of good Mountain West basketball night in and night out. That doesn't even include um, a couple of teams that have been really, really good, like New Mexico, um, the Lobos out, out west. New Mexico was undefeated. They were fourteen and zero. Then they lose, and all of a sudden they're they're probably going to miss the tournament. They lost three of their last four. Um, yeah, Mountain West is having a great year. San Diego State, Nevada, Boise State, Utah State. Um, but how many of those coaches go to the high major level? We'll see. Because that's if, the thing. What and that's this is the last thing I'm going to say. How many of these jobs open? Because if Ohio State doesn't open, then Notre Dame will open and Georgetown will be open. Presumably. I'm just just guessing. Notre Dame and Georgetown will be the two big ones. Maybe Bayheim steps down, but it doesn't sound God, like he wants please. to. Right, he's not. It but. doesn't sound like he wants to, so maybe Bayheim steps down. Um, I don't know. What else is open? I'm trying to think. What, what else... Can- all right, so I might be putting you in a bad spot here because, no, because of because you're the in arena host. Can you see Sean Miller ever leaving for a bigger job? No, no, you're you're not putting me in a bad spot. I've I've shared my thoughts on this before. I really can't. Um, now here's the thing. I I personally don't believe Sean will leave. 
would these schools come calling, like a Kentucky, if, if Cal was to leave? And that's the other thing. Cal has now, I think, bought himself some time with how they've played down the Better, stretch. Right. Yeah, he's that, not gone the, anymore. They, he, had, they had to fall off a cliff. They right? had to really, yeah. Cal will be back. Um, or if that happened at the end of the year. Yeah, yeah. I, I really, here's the thing about Sean Miller. And, and the way that this went down at Xavier, that if you're not following the program, Xavier really stuck their neck out for Sean. They took a massive, massive risk. And I'm not even talking about the potential NCAA violation. So you feel like he feels loyalty? I'm talking about the fact, yes. I'm talking about the fact that Sean Miller at Xavier now doesn't have to compete with Jay Wright. Sean Miller could be the class of the Big East at, at Xavier. He could make Xavier into what Villanova was because Xavier has the best on-campus facilities in the Big East. Marquette, of course, plays at Pfizer Forum. There are teams that play in these NBA arenas, but as far as on-campus, weightlifting, training, auxiliary gyms, practice gyms, the main arena, all this stuff that players can just walk to, it's the best on-campus environment in the Big East. So when you look at it from that perspective and in being in a major conference, playing your conference tournament at Madison Square Garden, I'm not sure Sean wants the pressure yeah, anymore yeah. of going to a Kentucky or an Ohio State or one of those, and especially not now because Xavier took a massive, massive risk when they got him because they, they fired Travis. And the story, which is what everything I've always been told, and that's the story that's been publicized is that when Sean or when Travis missed the NCAA tournament, that was when they made the decision to fire him. But he coached a game in the NIT. They won the game and then he got fired and Sean Miller was then available. I mean, it just makes too much sense that a lot of these things were lining up together. But for all I know that Travis was fired and it was because he, he missed the NCAA tournament. So when you look at it from that perspective, Xavier fires Travis after the, the the morning after a win in the NIT and has Sean Miller on the table to hire him. If 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 Xavier had not the timing hired, was convenient. The timing was convenient, you're right. If Sean Miller had not taken the Xavier job, say because Sean was right there with South Carolina too. If Sean had not ended up at Xavier, he would have been at South Carolina. If he had not taken the Xavier job, that would have been a nightmare. I mean, a disaster. I'm talking program reset for Xavier because you would have ended up with a guy like a Matt McMahon, who's at LSU, or yeah. Dennis Gates, yeah. who, who has Missouri like relevant again. But the problem is, are you really going to fire Travis to go to Dennis Gates or Matt McMahon? You had this incredible recruiting class coming in. All those guys probably would have decommitted. Maybe guys would have left. You'd have been restarting your program. Whereas at least if you had Travis, you're kind of like keeping the, the ball rolling right. with recruiting and the guys that you already have. So I just don't see a world where Sean, and I, and this comes from somebody that, that follows the program, covers the program, is around this stuff a lot. And, and I try to think through it and I don't talk to Sean about it. I don't know. But I just have a hard time believing that Sean, in the immediate next five years, would leave Xavier after what he went to at Arizona and realized, hey, right, right, it's not all it's cracked up to be at Arizona. You know, 
I, I think there's a lot of merit to what you said about the fact that expectations become tiring. Listen, when you're a young coach, and really as a competitor, the number one goal is to always win the national championship. And by leaving Xavier, going to Arizona, or going to even if if Sean Miller left Xavier to go to Ohio State, he's got a better chance to win a national championship at Ohio State than Xavier. Truly believe that. Maybe you disagree. But those expectations get tiring. And I've talked with my dad about this before. As as Xavier fans, as college sports fans, is is it worth leaving Xavier making I I have no idea what they make at what Sean Miller's making at Xavier, but let's say you're making a million. We'll make it nice round numbers. You're making a million dollars at Xavier being the head basketball coach. Is it worth leaving Xavier where you have a program built? You're gonna consistently get in the tournament, playing for sweet sixteens, who knows? You might make a run at it once in a blue moon, once every 10 years, maybe make a run at a final four and something greater. Or you can go to these blue bloods, these national champion contenders and be the coach there where the expectations are so overbearing. They weigh so heavy on your shoulders that you've won bad recruiting class or you have a bad chemistry of, of team of teammates that you just missed the tournament one year or, your back-to-back -back years of being a high seed that gets bounced in the first round where you're not making a sweet 16 every year to where all of a sudden you're on the chopping block, the expectations are that much higher. Is that worth it? And, and Sean's done that, right? He went out to Arizona. He's gotten the opportunity to compete for those national championships, but now he's back at Xavier. Things are cozy. He's just got to compete. He, and he will. Yeah. He loves it. His wife loves it. I mean, this, the the situation is perfect for him. He played in the Big East. I just don't really see. Now, if he gets, like, here's the if, thing. If Duke, North Carolina come calling, you got to take that. Yeah. You yeah, I, yeah. I mean, that's, I don't. I think, they won't, but I'm uh, yeah, just saying. I, I don't think. There's certain jobs that yeah. if they come calling. But see, I don't. You don't think he'd leave for Kentucky? See, I don't think he would because when you go to Kentucky, the thing you got to remember about the Kentucky head coach is that you got to go down to all these counties in Kentucky and have breakfast with the locals and you got to right. go to the waffle houses and you got to give the speech with the mayor. What's I mean, that, what's that club where they were all the, the shakers and movers for the Kentucky guys, yeah. like the legacy club or something yeah, like whatever. that. Like there are a lot of other responsibilities with being the Kentucky head coach that Calipari is exceptional at like call it what you will with his on court stuff, but the guy's got a lot of off-court charisma that he can go down into the the mountains of Kentucky and and do these these different events or whatever it might be that he's he's very good at. I'm not sure Sean cares enough about all of that stuff. I think he just wants to win basketball games. And at Xavier, you know, he, he does his coaches show on Monday nights. He he does his speeches to the season ticket holders or whatever when he has to. But that's just like any coach. But he can come into Xavier, be the king of campus. Correct. Potentially be the king of the conference because Thad Mata's older. Thad's not, Thad's not going to have the run at Butler that he had at Ohio State. He'll be fine. He's a good coach and he's got a good staff, but he's not going to have the run at Butler. Like he, but Butler has too many issues 
like fundamental issues, facilities, funding, things like that, that I just don't think Butler is going to ever get back to what they were when they caught lightning in a bottle with Brad Stevens, un- unless they just get this influx and in, in, of funding. But they just they've got a lot of flaws behind the scenes that not a lot of people talk about. Um, I think that when you look at Sean at Xavier with Jay Wright being out and some of these top coaches in the Big East, Ed Cooley, Greg McDermott, Shaka Smart. Now Shaheen Holloway at Seton Hall. We'll see what he can do. But Sean's got a chance to be the guy, the guy at Xavier and build this program into a a, a potential Final Four candidate every year. And once you get in the tournament, it's a crapshoot. Look, Xavier has the second most NCAA tournament appearances of all time without a Final Four, second only to BYU. That's the thing about Sean is – Sean's career goal and Xavier's career goal of making the Final Four are the same. Sean's never been there and Xavier's never been there. And I I will say that Sean will not leave Sean would not leave Xavier until he made a Final Four. Okay. I think I firmly firmly believe that. And I don't think he will ever leave, but I don't think he would leave at all until he accomplished that goal. But like I said, there there's caveats like if and these two schools won't come calling, but if one of those two Duke UNC call, he's he's gone, right? I mean, let's not you don't like I know it won't, and this is a super hypothetical, but if Duke UNC ever call, he's gone, right? Or do you think he won't even leave for those? Yeah, I, I well, he would definitely entertain them, and then at that point, I because here's the thing: by the time that Duke and UNC would They're open, gone. like by the time Duke and UNC would open, these schools would all be in such different situations. But here's the, and here's the thing too. Like Sean doesn't and Mousecop points this out. Sean doesn't have a final four. Right. So he wouldn't be so like it, Correct. who's to say that it, even if Duke and UNC came calling, they wouldn't want somebody that has been to three or four final fours. So when it, yeah. Well, when the the talk about Calipari Calipari um, potentially losing his job at Kentucky started circulating. You, I, talking about, are they going to call Sean Miller? He's got to be on the short list. And then you start talking to other people, like, why would they, like, is Sean Miller, yeah, they might call him, but is he going to be, like, a top three pick for them? Like, probably, like, maybe not. I don't know. You really don't know. Yeah. Like, he's got a he's got a great pedigree and a great history, but he hasn't gotten to the Final Four, and, and that would be the knock with some of these big schools. So, no doubt. We'll see. No doubt about it at all. Uh, um, I'm taking a look at the chat. Duke, Duke wouldn't waste a call on him. Yeah, well, we'll see how Shire works out down there. I don't know about that one. <laughs> we'll see. We'll see how Shire we're, works we're, out. Z- what do, what do Z- you? The Xavier haters are are in there. Well, rightfully I mean, so. Well, whatever. But I I I I am very interested. Very 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 interested to see how all of these hand picked coaches do at sure. these schools. The the Shire at Duke. Neptune at Villanova, Hubert Davis, all these guys that have been there and and were handpicked. I mean, yeah, okay, Sean was at Xavier, but he wasn't a Xavier guy. He came back, but he wasn't he didn't grow up in the program Shire. Like let's let's give it let's give all these schools like the ACC is bad this year. Let's give all these schools some time to play it out. We'll see. We'll see. I wonder how hard it is to truly flounder at these at these bad school at these top schools. Yeah, I don't like know. I, I like honestly, like if 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 one of us three never coached a, a basketball <laughs> game a day in our life, we show up at Duke. We're winning a couple games just because we're gonna get some players that want to go to Duke, just because it's Duke, right? I mean, we're gonna get some players like that. Like I'm not saying we're gonna be making the tournament or anything like that, but you've got to truly flounder 
at these schools. I mean, if you if you make me the, the head coach of Alabama tomorrow, Alabama football, I'm not competing for a national championship. I ain't competing for an SEC title. But I think I could win a couple games. <laughs> I, th- I think I could win a couple games in the SEC. <laughs> Truly believe that. I mean, you get the right guys around you. It's just that's just my personal opinion that that some of these you, know, you use the phrase too big to fail and there is a certain element about some of these blue bloods but we've seen we've seen programs diminish before look at UCLA going in the tank for for forever and and IU not being what they've once were under Bob Knight though they're going to win a national championship or at least be in the national championship against Xavier that is that is the the trendy pick I see all the the national pundits talking about a Xavier versus IU national championship. Least, a lot of people are talking about at least, that. At least the smart ones. All the smart ones are talking about that. Sir yeah. Boy says Reed Mouse would bring championship success to, to UK. You have the charisma for it. I, do I? Do I? Yeah. Would you Would you want to go down there? No. So, I, so when I have this conversation with my dad about expectations and how heavy they are, if you're telling me I could be at a school in the Big East, if I could be Ed Cooley, you're at Providence. You got a good thing going. And then a bigger school comes calling and be like, well, I'm, I've got a good little thing going here. They like me a lot here. I'm winning a lot here, but I could win more if I go somewhere else, but I also could be out of a job in three years. Yeah. I mean, I think, I think we're all forgetting the, the coaching tree here. You're under the Tom Brenneman tree, baby. You're guaranteed a championship. <laughs> That's true. He is city champ, girls basketball, two times. I wonder if he, Tom could coach me to score 10 points in a game. If you guys don't know this, the most damning athletic feat that I never accomplished was score 10 points in an organized basketball game. And I played until I was in ninth grade. So I should have done it. I should have done it. But Tom could have gotten me 10 points. But... Guys, do we have anything else to cover? We we did 90 minutes yesterday. We'll do 90 minutes today. Do we have a cherry on top? We've got a. Can you can you scour the internet for for quickly for a cherry on top? Unless uh, you've got I, one queued up. I may hold on. I may have one. Um, Sir boy, have breaking news. He says Tom Brenneman to Ohio State. He always does. Uh, Sir boy, I love how you do the breaking news after you give out the news. What if the news did that? Like they just came on out and were like, "War with Ukraine." Breaking news. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we'll grab your attention uh, after we say it. But you guys, you guys work on that. Um, we will. Anybody been out golfing yet? Boom. No. It's looking seventy degrees next week, so maybe we'll get on out the links. Potter's National is not open yet here in Hamilton, but we'll put out our not too picky graphic later today. We'll also have a card for the Super Bowl and Saturday. So if you guys are gamblers, keep keep tuning into that card. Um, but this does it. We'll we'll be back Monday as he's currently trying to find a, a cherry on top. We'll be back Monday. Tom's at the Waste Management Open. We're trying to get some film. Um, he's out there with his son. Just some some clips. Maybe we'll talk to him on Monday as he's traveling back. Trace should either be back Monday or Tuesday. We're not quite sure on when he'll be back, but we'll try to get back to regular scheduling next week, recapping the Super Bowl. Hopefully, we won't be talking about Patrick Mahomes. We know that's so tired. That's just so tired. Almost about as tired as Paul thinks the West Coast Conference is, the WCC over here as an East Sider who stays up late and watches and sometimes mm. bets on, on those West Coast conference games. I'll tell you what. I don't know if anyone saw the card that we put out yesterday, but Oregon State Beavers <laughs> were plus 15 and a half. And if you tailed that bet, you were in treat for one of the greatest covers 
that you've ever seen. UCLA up 22, 24 points in the final minute. They put in all their scrubs, and then Oregon State just gets a couple steals, layup, steal, layup, steal, layup, then a three at the buzzer to, to cover. Absolutely all right. electric. So we have one. I Full disclosure, I haven't listened to the audio of this. Let's run it, baby. So uh, I'm hoping that it's the video that I think it is. A uh, couple days ago, there was a high school game, which I'm sure many of you have seen by now, but in case you haven't, um, we're going to put it up here. There was a high school basketball game. We're going to go 10 more minutes on this show if you play this clip. No, it's only a, it's only a 60-second clip. It's no, I'm saying because I got – Oh, we, oh, that's fine. I mean, this. that's fine. I thought you meant – okay. I thought you meant you went. Okay. Play the uh, cherry on top. Play the, play the hit. Give you guys a dollar if you can tell me who composed that song. No idea. Scott Joplin. The king of ragtime. This is a high school basketball game, I believe, in the state of Oklahoma that ended in a score of four to two. Look at this. Anyone who's, uh, you know, against this style or doesn't believe it has a place, they'll have an argument for a shot clock. And free, free throw good by CJ Nixon. One point. So there's one minute into the second quarter, and it's one nothing. It's First point scored in the second quarter of the game. So this team that's wearing the white jerseys apparently is an incredibly good team. I don't know if competing for state title. I don't know. But the team in the purple realized that the only way to beat this team in white was to just slow the game down. And by slow the game down, I mean they literally held the ball for the entire first quarter. So this team in white gets up 4 nothing. Here comes the team in purple in the fourth quarter. Look at that. Two and a half minutes left. They score the first basket of the game. And now they're within one basket of tying the game. They did not go on to win the game, but they did right here have a chance to win the game. This goes in. That's a buzzer-beating win for the team in purple. They lost. The strategy didn't pay off, but it put them in a position to win. That's crazy. Go ahead, Reed. So this topic comes swirling up here in Ohio all the time is should we have a shot clock in? If you don't know about the, the origin of Chatterbox Sports, we kind of got our footing covering high school sports. So the past four years, I've been covering it very closely. And every once in a while, in a, a similar scenario, you'll see a very good team playing a team that they should just dismantle. And the team that is the bad team will say, all right, let's just limit the possessions and try to keep this low-scoring game. Maybe we'll look out of this one. You'll see this all the time when a team plays Moeller in the first round of the postseason. Woo, they should lose by 60. They'll be like, all right, let's try to win 12-10. to 10. And then the conversation reiterates itself. Do we need a shot clock? And there's two arguments of do why the state of Ohio doesn't have a shot clock. One has a little bit of merit, I don't think enough, and then one has absolutely no merit. The one that has a little bit of merit is that these schools – can't afford certain schools in, in the state can't afford a shot clock can't put in that system they're gonna have to hire another person to run the shot clock the entire time so that's money every game on top of the money up front that is just to get the shot clock equipment that's ludicrous i mean it's gonna i don't know how much it's gonna cost it's gonna cost a couple thousand dollars i know some of these schools are on string tight budgets but you should be able to do it. It's the better for the game the second and most ludicrous argument that people make when it comes to whether or not the shot clock should be imp implemented at high school. Is they'll say, these are high school basketball players. They're not very good. They'll just take bad shots. 
if there's a shot clock. It's better than no shots. You'd rather see a guy stand out at the top of the key and dribble for an at, for a minute, a minute of game time, just to take up probably a contested shot anyways. And you don't think that the game's going to evolve? If you have 30 seconds to score, you're going to at least run a play to get a shot in 30 seconds. And at some point, you have to reward the defense. I mean, I'm smacking the hardwood. I'm getting in a defensive stance. I'm getting in front of you. You can't go left. Try to go left. Can't go right. Can't go right. You got to reward the defense. And you're going to sit here and you're telling me, no, they're going to take bad shots. I don't, what does Paul always say? Miss me with that. Miss me with that talk. That is terrible. They should implement it. It should have been implemented 15 years ago. High school sports is so behind the times. Just the fact that, so Chatterbox Sports got our footing broadcasting high school sports. The capabilities for these high school teams to broadcast had been available for 15 years. They just hadn't done it because they never had to do it. And then COVID comes along and actually propels these schools to start broadcasting. Something's going to come along, and it better come along soon to implement the high school shot clock because it is ludicrous. Two of the best teams in Cincinnati, Moeller, LaSalle, 27-26 because they're holding the ball. Ridiculous. And if you are against a shot clock, it comes down to you just don't like change. That's all it is. Similar to how certain people don't like rule changes that are being implemented to baseball. You just simply don't like change. Well, the game's always been played. That's the worst school of thought is. We've always done it this way. Why change? What's your argument for the people that say that the technology can't be implemented? Like, literally, the schools can't get shot clocks. Because I've heard that before. Well, that's the, the, the money comes is they're going to have to fund it. Right? I, these schools have enough money. True, the Guys, they have enough money. To, to fund these. And it, and it here's the thing is it doesn't have to be an upfront. I mean, you can lay it off, right? I mean, it, if it takes even, I, I don't know how much it's going to take, but even if it takes 10 grand to implement this shot clock system, you're telling me that a school can't fund $10,000 for its high school, for its basketball? Yeah. I mean, some of these schools, I mean, New Miami, right down the road from here. I mean, they graduate 40 kids in a class, but we got a call. We got a phone call here. We got a call in? We got a call. Who is this? Who we got calling in? I hope it's CJ. CJ said he wanted to call in. I think it is. If it is CJ, we'd love to hear from him. Purcell Marion Cavalier. Second best Cavalier in third best. He's, he got demoted to third. CJ, is that you? Yeah. Yeah, I'm here. You are the third. You went to Purcell Marion. You are the third most famous Purcell Marion Cavalier. The first being Roger Staubach, of course, is number one. The second being Lance Durham, who played baseball at the University of Cincinnati, was a Bearcat, hit one on top of Fifth Third Arena. And then CJ, you're number three. CJ, what are you calling in for? I'm talking about the shot clock thing. Okay. What's your opinion so, on it? So my thing is, is, as an offense, if you're trying to win a game, like against a Moeller, like if a team like a Division Three school or even like a really bad D1 school, like say, right. Cole Rain, they're playing Moeller. My whole thing is, is, you want to have your best situation to win. So if I'm thinking, hey, you know, we can win by doing this, by all means do it. And if a team like Moeller Everest playing isn't stopping you by doing that, mm -hmm. I mean, why? Basketball strategy, that's my thing. It's like baseball. Like, if you're going to ban the shift, well, we have the shot clock in basketball. Why put a shot clock in when just play defense and just pressure the ball? There's really no – like, I've seen teams, like, when I was in high school, tap was really good. Yeah, had Dwayne Stanford, had Adolphus Washington. Teams would try and stall against them, and they would just beat them by pressing and playing fast. So 
I really don't think a shot clock is necessary because then, one, then you have another referee or you have a referee who's taking away from the ball or the game because he has to watch the shot clock. Then, like you said, you have to hire somebody to do it and you have to, have to hire somebody to put it in. So I just don't think in high school it's possible. And I don't think I, it should be. So I will push back, and I've never been an athletic director. I've never been around athletic programs other than being in the media. I will push back the thought that these schools can't make it happen logistically. I truly think that they can. And I think that if you make it a mandate, it will happen. I mean, if you just make it to where they have to, the school's not going to be like, well, we can't do it. No, they'll figure it out. It'll be fine. It'll be okay. But you are right about the fact that without a shot clock, you should take the best possible approach to beating a team that is better than you. And if you are, you know, we're taking small little New Miami playing against Moeller. Their best chance is to stall and make it a 4-2 ball game. Then, by all means, if the game allows you to do it, then you should. But I don't think that that should be the approach we're taking. I think that the rules should benefit the better team. The, the, the objective of the rule is the team that plays best, the team that is better, should achieve to try to be the better team and win every game. So if you have rules that don't always try to find the best team, the team that plays the best on that given night, then the rules aren't perfect. And I think that with the shot clock, you will see a more true nature to the game. And I think that the game will evolve for better when you have to run these quicker sets. So what I think you can do is, obviously you can't put them like schools like New Miami, like, yeah, like you said, logistics probably can make it happen. Just have a shot clock in the postseason. Because nine times out of ten, if you're a host for the postseason, you have the means, you have the logistics. That's a good point. That's a good point. You're funded by the state to do it. You get money from the state to do it. So my whole thing is, why don't you do that? If you are a host site, you have to have a shot clock up. Because, I mean, most of them do. I know Trent Arena does. I think Hamilton does. Yeah. A yeah, lot of they... these schools already have it in place. So, because I agree with your take as far as, like, you want the best team to win. In the Correct. tournament, like you said, you see nine times out of ten, a really good team's playing a really bad team. They're going to stall and stall. They're going to run Kentucky stall. And mm-hmm. nine times out of ten, they've never won. But that one time they do, it's like, well, great, the best team didn't win. So I think in the tournament, absolutely, shot clock, all you want. But in regular season, I don't think it should be a shot clock. Yeah, that's a, that's actually a good point is the way the OHSCA currently runs is they, they just supply officials and they run tournaments. That's all they do. They have a, a, a guidelines, a set of rules, but they do officials and they run tournaments. So... They can't force these leagues. They can't force the GMC, the GCL Coed, the GCL South, the ECC, the GWAC, all these leagues. They can't force them to implement a shot clock. What you could do is say, listen, at the tournaments, to be a host site, you've got to have a shot clock. These are how our tournaments are going to run. We're going to have shot clock in the tournament. So if you want to be better in the tournament, you better put one in your league to get used to running that shot clock so that when you enter the league, it's not a complete shock to the system. That's a unique way of looking at this. And if they are going to implement it, that would be the quickest way to get it in and say, listen, we're going to have it at these tournaments. You guys can do what you want. Well, and like I said, pretty much all of the tournament sites have that, already have the shot clock up. 100%. Like, I coach high school basketball. A lot of teams I've been, games I've been to, some of them have, not the small schools, but the big schools, they have them up. 
So it's like, and my whole thing, four to two, like, that's whole defense thing. That's not even, like, Moeller and LaSalle do it. They stall. But the games are still in the 30s. Four to two, that means both teams are just like, screw it. We'll just sit back and, the man, sit back and let it happen. Like, that's ridiculous. Right, yeah. All you have to do is pressure the ball. You get the five-second call, and yeah. then you just you pressure the ball, and then that's how you do it. Because teams have taken that approach to Moeller in the postseason where they go, all right, we're going to try and stall this, this team out. Um, and then Moeller just pressures you, and they get 26 turnovers. And next next thing you look up at the scoreboard, yeah. it's 40 to it's eight. Still a 40 point game. It's not four to two because like you watch that that tape. Both teams are literally just sitting there on defense. Like at sure. that point, I think the referee should be like, "Hey guys, we got to play basketball. Like, come on." Right, right. All right, CJ, bring up good points. Where you coach at? Seven Hills. Seven Hills. All right, down there, yeah. and it's right there on the east side, right? Hmm. No? Yeah, I don't. Yeah, he said yeah. Yeah. Oh, okay. yeah. Okay. Nice. All right. Well, thank you for calling in. We thank you for watching the show. You're always in the Discord. So we appreciate you you doing it. And how's the, the Hornets, right? Stingers. 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 Well, good luck if in the postseason. That's right around the corner. Thank you for calling in, CJ. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. See ya. He brought up a good point. He really did. That if, if you want to implement it at the high school level, I know a lot of you viewers don't don't care a whole lot about high school sports, but we do it here at Chatterbox Sports. But if you're going to implement it, just do it at the tournament level and then say, this is what we're going to continue to do. If you want to be a part of this, if you want to be better in the tournament, get used to it and put it at your at your home facility. Do it in your leagues. But guys, Ham and Eggers, we've made it through two days of this show. So I appreciate Casey and Paul being a part of this. What do we want to do for lunch? Ooh, we got it. Uh, I'll be leaving a little early to get to Butler, but not crazy early. A little early to get to Butler. What? Going to? We'll go to Gina's. Gina's. We'll go to Gina's. Haven't been to Gina's. We haven't been to Gina's in a while. So we're gonna go to Gina's on this Friday. Uh, Paul, you have fun at Butler. Casey, why aren't you going to Butler? You should go. It's a great point. Road trip. Yeah. Root on the Muskies. Or the the Bulldogs. Whoever you care. I still need to go to the toss first. We do. Like, There's only three gone. games left. Yeah, I need to go to a. I need to go at some point. What, what game should I go to? I need Nova. I need to, yeah, you should go to Nova's. Nova. I can see what I can do. Maybe I can get you. Is that next Tuesday? Two Tuesdays. No, two, two. Okay. I gotta see what I can do about my tickets for that one. And it's on a Tuesday. Because that'd be that'd be. That's great when the club goes up. Tuesday or a Wednesday? Might be a Wednesday. Are you sure it's a Tuesday? I don't know. It's like twenty first, twenty second. It is a. It's a. Ooh. 21st? It is a Tuesday. It's yeah, a Tuesday. Perfect. Uh-oh. Perfect. How about, how about that? Casey's first college basketball experience in Cincinnati is Villanova at the toss. How about that? Let's go, Casey. We'll make it a little company out of it. We'll go to the Norwood Cafe, get those Hootie Delights, the Natty Lights. We'll get you guys set up. We'll get you set up. All right. Guys, thank you for being, producing this show. It's the Ham and Eggers. We thank you for tuning in on this Friday. We'll be back Monday. We'll do this again. We'll be talking Super Bowl. Um, final picks on the Super Bowl? Take Eagles e- minus one and a half or two and a half, whatever it's at now. One and a half. Yeah, I'm taking Eagles, but I'm also taking uh, Jalen Hurts' plus 100 on Betfred. I'm... For Super Bowl MVP? No, for just a touchdown, anytime oh. touchdown. I really love that prop. Okay. You, you heard it here first. Not too picky. We'll be putting out our cards the next three days. So if you're into gambling, keep, keep tasting these. Guys, thank you for joining us today. This has been Off the Bench. Presented by United Dairy Farmers. I'm Marie Mouse. We'll see you on Monday.